Welcome to Feed the Feminine, a podcast dedicated to reviving archetypal feminine qualities in a masculine-dominated culture. I'm your host, Vanessa Sedaducato, sharing stories, experiences, and insights to nourish the feminine while also repairing what's been damaged in its long-standing cultural oppression. Join me each episode as we talk about the archetypes present in how we eat, express, and relate, and what we can do to find meaning and reach balance between the archetypal feminine and masculine. On this episode, I'm discussing giving our inner authority away to external forces. But before we dive in, a quick disclaimer. The information provided here is intended to convey general information only and does not intend to replace them for a clinical need. This information is not inclusive to all experiences and perspectives and may not resonate for everyone. In this context, feminine and masculine are used to describe archetypal elements akin to yin and yang and are not descriptive of gender or gender roles. And now without further ado, let's jump into this episode of the Feed the Feminine podcast. Sometime in late February, I was driving down Pacific Coast Highway in Malibu and pulled over alongside the beach to record a podcast episode. (laughs) I was inspired by the energy of the place. I had a lot of thoughts, and I thought a whimsical, spontaneous episode would really fit the whole idea of feeding the feminine. I spoke about that in the recording itself, how I tend to write some kind of script or a thorough outline for these episodes, and for good reason, but that I wanted to try something new off the cuff in the moment. I thought it was brilliant while I was recording it, but when I went back to edit it, I realized this is completely incoherent. (laughs) It had some good ideas about how we give away our authority to people and institutions that meet certain kinds of criteria, which are usually really masculine metrics, and how I wasn't sure why we did that without question, especially when really our best sense of authority comes from within. That our best leader is the one inside of us that can weigh the importance of certain masculine metrics, but not to the exclusion of feminine metrics, and then ultimately decide what works for us. In a way, it kind of reminds me of that DBT Venn diagram of emotion mind, rational mind, and then where they cross over is where wise mind lives. When we let both parts talk to each other, then that is where wisdom comes from. But only worshiping or devoting ourselves to one or the other is going to get us into a little bit of a pickle. So why do we do this? Whether it's figureheads, people, institutions, ideologies, why might we just sort of hand over our power because they fulfill certain metrics without including other things that we also might value or things that we might not know enough about but can learn about and become curious about, things that might resonate with us that maybe we've actually been told not to trust in this masculine society because we only tend to value one type of thing, one type of way of being. So many questions came up and the ideas were good, but the delivery was scattered and not in a good way. (laughs) I tried to edit it into cohesion, but I couldn't. And then I realized that that wasn't really in the spirit of things anyway. So I chose to do nothing else with it. But while I decided ultimately to scrap the snapshot of those meandering thoughts, the purpose of that recording had only yet to be revealed. I was embarking upon my own inquiry about where I give my power away. And it turns out there were layers of it that I wasn't ready to confront at that moment in Malibu. 
it took some time for the alchemy to occur. Most episodes, and even blog posts, essays, Instagram captions that I write, they come from a personal place. They're inspired by something that sparks in me that I imagine would resonate with many of you, based on conversations I've had, feedback I've gotten. To me, that's the best place for material to flow from. I'm not a thinking function person, but rather all of my best expressions and understandings come through my feeling function. So the more personal they are, the more intricate, impassioned, and relatable they're likely to be. Of course, very few experiences are universal down to the core, which is to say that my experience won't ever entirely align with yours, but that kind of literal one-to-one structure isn't what this space is about. Anyway, take what works, leave the rest. The Malibu recording on authority wasn't any different in terms of where it was growing from within my own system. My nervous system, my system of parts, my organization and way of being. But it did lack a certain clarity, likely because I didn't write it. Like many feelers, I'm an introverted thinker, which means that I do my best sense-making when I'm inside of my own internal world which happens when I write, not when I speak. The way I write is different than the way that I speak freely because I'm processing differently in each context. So while my ideas were authentic, the way I was expressing myself was unprocessed, unfinished, and and misunderstood by my own self, which meant I couldn't really communicate effectively. Now, there's a certain kind of beautiful vulnerability in that, which is why I did it in the first place. (laughs) But I also consider that podcasts have to have some kind of a goal. Different than a casual chat over coffee or maybe even a more intimate chat, this podcast is both a vulnerably human offering and something that has to go somewhere, right? Maybe it doesn't have to have a definitive finished point, But I'm not just going to ramble on by myself without any interaction with somebody else if I'm not heading in a certain direction. And sharing thoughts that I've written, that's also vulnerable, even if it is more sculpted. And that's actually what Feed the Feminine is about, because amplifying feminine traits is important. So important. Especially in a culture that has repressed and demonized the feminine for generations to our own social suffering. But only feeding the feminine without incorporating healthy doses of masculine only swings the pendulum too far in the other direction. We don't ever want one to dominate the other or rule unchecked. The balance is where the sweetness is. So my feminine ramblings on this podcast can use a little masculine structure in order to be both emotionally expressive and also functional. (laughs) And truly, whether written or not, I am rambling. This is not some formal lecture with a numbered list of agenda items. This is me free writing and then organizing the thoughts so that they're coherent. The part of me that's accessed in the process is different than the one accessed when I'm just speaking aloud off the cuff. So it does make me feel like a better me emerges in this context. But I also have ADHD. And in that Malibu recording, you can hear it. You can hear where I'm frequently getting distracted by the pelicans flying by, 
the wind, the waves, old memories of Malibu, where I lose my train of thought no fewer than eight times in 20 minutes, where I'm making sense only in my own brain when factoring in the 10 other streams of thought flowing through at the same time, which you're not privy to at all as the listener. So it hardly makes sense when you hear it from anywhere other than my own brain in that moment, because even when I listened back to it in my own brain, it was a different moment. And so I didn't know some of what I was talking about. (laughs) And honestly, that explained a lot about my relationship woes throughout my life. Never feeling understood. Always feeling pressured to speak quickly so that I didn't forget all of the things I needed to share in order to make myself make sense to other people. And still having to confront the looks of overwhelmed and confused people who thought that I was just chaotic. Leading up to that recording in Malibu, I had somewhat guilted myself into being more open to spontaneously capturing thoughts in true feminine fashion. But the thing is, the masculine is a tool that really supports me in this space, so why wouldn't I use it? Using my tried and true skill of writing to make usable the free-flowing thoughts and insights running amok through my mind while I type, that's actually kind of perfect. So that seemed worth mentioning in this episode about authority. My feminine traits have always been my favorite things about me, especially because they were the things that I was judged for the most. I was always too something related to the feminine. If I was creative, I had too much time on my hands. If I was expressive about my inner world, I was too disconnected from reality. If I expressed emotions, I was too sensitive. If I was excited about sharing my ideas, I was too loud or talking too much. It's no coincidence, by the way, that these judgments of the feminine align with judgments of ADHD behavior, but more on that in a future episode. In any case, as a result of being squashed in my feminine for the sake of the masculine, I used to, very unconsciously but very intensely, undermine the masculine. I felt too controlled by it. Who was it to tell other people to tell me how to live my life? I felt the immense pressure of the masculine culture to only value masculine things, and I didn't want to give my authority to such a stringent, soulless archetype. But instead, as we tend to overcorrect, I gave too much of my own authority over to its feminine counterpart. And I've said it before, when one is dominant, the shadow emerges. They need each other in order for balance and light to remain. Feminine unchecked becomes self-deprivation, desperation, codependency, resignation. Feminine shadow. By giving the feminine my authority to say I was doing the podcast wrong, I guilted myself into feeling like I had to do it some other way or else I wasn't being real. I wasn't giving listeners the truth. And what happened as a result, I missed an episode. I had just relaunched the podcast for season two. I released one episode and then I ghosted for over a month. Resignation. Self-deprivation. I silenced myself. I starved myself because I couldn't do it right. We're not doing this anymore, folks. Whatever your version of this is, we're done. My inner authority, my higher self... A place of me I have come to know very well over the years of living as consciously as I can. That's where my decision should be coming from. 
And within that higher self, both masculine and feminine live, in addition to other things. So they're consulted. They're a part of the decision-making, but they are not the decision. This internal system is not a dictatorship. Giving the feminine more of a say doesn't mean the masculine has to be repressed in turn. That's exactly the thing I'm trying to fight against. Both matter. And so here we are, back to a format that I still think is somewhat chaotic, and I know it's authentic, but also has the structure of the masculine, which helps me stay the course and express myself in a way that translates. Because the truth is, when left to my own rambling voice, I don't always get to communicate everything I mean to. And this isn't a hit on my worth. I am still worthy. This does not make me less than. And I probably make more sense to people than I think I do. But my expressions still feel incomplete in that format. And that is simply a truth that has followed me all of my life. So why not use a tool to help? So there's that. Here's another version. If you listen to this podcast frequently enough, you might have noticed that my disclaimer changed on this episode. I did this because I'm shifting this podcast to be one not hosted by a therapist. (laughs) And and I mean, the content probably isn't going to change all that much, really. And I'm still a therapist, of course, but I don't want to be in my capacity as a therapist on this podcast. And I don't think I ever did. So I'll tell you a little story. I was writing a lot before I decided to go to grad school to become a therapist. And while I was driven by the desire to become a therapist, what also excited me about going to grad school and becoming licensed was feeling like my writing might mean more if I had a few letters after my name. I was convinced, not uncommonly, that people would take what I had to say more seriously because I had some authority in those letters. Because that's how we work in this culture. And we measure who we give authority to in masculine cultures by masculine metrics. Education being one of those metrics. Degrees have meaning. My license has meaning because the government and the institutions under it follow certain guidelines that provide a sense of accountability. And this is true in a sense, but it all really depends on why you'd be giving me your authority in the first place. And side note, although it's not really a side note, sort of the headline, when you consider the kind of gatekeeping that occurs in higher education, maybe the right qualifications aren't being prioritized. Historically racist and misogynistic, especially toward women of color, higher education is not very inclusive. Not to mention the path to higher education leaves a lot of people out before they would even get close. Is someone inherently unqualified to be a therapist because they can't afford ridiculously rising tuition costs? Does your socioeconomic status indicate whether you're actually capable of supporting people in emotional crisis? Someone may be very talented and primed for training under the system of accountability, but won't ever be let into it. While on the other hand, my privilege affords me access to a master's degree, but is my privilege what ultimately gives me the authority? Is that the thing that ultimately makes me a good therapist and one that is trustworthy? It shouldn't, but it does. So masculine metrics are a little fucked sometimes. 
You know what I mean? They're not really accounting for everything that matters. When it comes to therapy, it's important that you trust me and know that I'm accountable to certain laws and ethics. Absolutely. And I'll talk more about giving away authority to therapists in a bit. But as a writer, I actually tend to think I have more authority as a human being than as a therapist. And it took me getting through graduate school, writing a thesis, and then not being able to write freely again for years in order to figure that out. (laughs) While I hoped my new profession would encourage me to write, instead it just suppressed my voice. I felt beholden to a responsibility that excluded me as a person. That I should no longer tell my story unless it had some clear clinical significance for anybody listening. That all of my personal experiences now had to have a therapeutic purpose, otherwise they didn't matter. That each form of expression had to be strictly professional and courteous, over-explaining everything that I meant so that nobody could misinterpret me or be offended by a therapist or take something that I said as advice that wasn't meant to be advice. I gave my authority away to my own license and I abandoned myself. Now my license matters, of course, and so do the parameters around it that are meant to keep everybody safe, but not to the exclusion of my own psychic safety as a human being, as a civilian, as a private citizen who also gets to just exist and create and be human and be flawed and maybe talk about things that don't have anything to do with clinical outcome. Ironically, even though I studied young and practiced unapologetically from a psychodynamic lens, mysticism is one of the things I've become conservative about speaking to. This includes, as an example, for the sake of this episode, but not limited to, what people call, what skeptics call, the pseudoscience of astrology. I love pseudoscience in the way that it's used against things, right? In this case, science is a masculine metric of value. is weaponized against something that's not even claiming to be science at all, as far as I know. Certainly not when I think about it or talk about it. I'm not saying, yeah, this is a science so that you can come back and say, no, it isn't. Dude, I know it isn't. (laughs) Although I also know that a lot of things that we now know as science started as magic before we understood them. (laughs) And listen, not everything has to be science in order for it to have value. Spiritual experiences matter whether or not they can be proven. In fact, some of the best experiences can't be proven because proving them would kill the spirit of them. Exploring where we're conditioned to give our power in masculine cultures gets interesting and a little scary, I think. We've seen politicians lead cults of ideology. We give our power away when we cease conversation, critical thought, and growth and instead offer unquestioned allegiance to a person, place, or thing. When we look for the easy answers, the things that make us feel better, so long as we don't have to look under the hood, we've given our power away. When we think only certain metrics matter and that those metrics ought not to be challenged, we have given our power away. When we ignore that the systems of accountability can be manipulated so that only certain people are actually held accountable by them, we have given our power away. One of the things we're really being forced to witness in modern times is that masculine metrics don't actually mean everything we thought they did. We trusted them without even really thinking about it to keep in place certain structures, rules, assumptions, expectations, and then we can fill in the gaps with our freedom and all that. While held in more rigid regard, our economic system has always been faith-based. It's always been based on people trusting the actions of the collective 
and trusting the institutions themselves. Yet it purports to be about something else because faith is too feminine. We decide that a masculine, impenetrable force is what's protecting our masculine money and the masculine value it holds. But really, especially when the shadow strikes, it's all actually meaningless. It's fragile. Capitalism has a limit. And when you push it to its limits, it turns inside out. And when you've given all of your power away to it, you will be adhered to it when it turns inside out, which means bad things for you. For us, because we're all in the system. Politics, as we knew it, as this very masculine force for masculine men who make rational decisions and never emotional ones, (laughs) we're seeing right through it. And it's scary to confront because we've built an entire society on it, on just implicitly trusting that these things are unquestionable. They will always be there. Nothing will ever poke holes in them. But like, let's talk about an insurrection, for example. And I'm not saying that some of these masculine structures shouldn't be there, but our unquestioned allegiance to it, thinking that nothing could ever crack it, it put us in this really vulnerable position where now we have to confront the truth, and it feels apocalyptic. Here's another way that it comes up. As a lapsed Catholic, and I'm speaking from personal experience here, I I can't help but see it relate to this too. Another situation where we have dominated the feminine with masculine rules so rigidly, only to watch it crack. As I said just a little while ago, faith is inherently feminine. When talking about God and afterlife, saints and angels, any variety of spiritual belief, you are talking from the feminine. (laughs) And yet you can't control people en masse through the feminine because the true feminine faith is free. It can be communal, but it is liberating. It ebbs and flows. It challenges and can be challenged. It's willing to be changed. It can hold space for doubt and still maintain faith. It is not strewn together by rigid rules and restrictions in order to remain hierarchical. There is no hierarchy in feminine faith. But power needs hierarchy. And institutions like Catholicism have to make rules out of faith in order to maintain their power. They repress the feminine by way of oppressing natural urges and calling them sinful, belittling the wide breadth of the human experience, demanding redemption, but only from those lower on the totem pole. Only those without power have to apologize or suffer. It's the same way we see it in the political structure, the the systems of accountability, where not everybody is held to the same level of accountability. When I think about going to mass as a child, shame is the first thing that comes to mind. My body is just like, shame is synonymous to me with God because of the religion that I grew up in and how they used it as a mechanism to subdue us. And yet, thankfully, I eventually grew up to understand God entirely differently, 
a much more liberating presence, neutral at worst. But an institution can't just let faith be faith. It has to appoint men to be representative of God so that a hierarchy remains. Authority has to be given away to somebody. The authority of the masses has to be given away to someone, and a mythological figure isn't literal enough, so man must represent it, and then man abuses it, tale as old as time. Why give our authority away to these hierarchies when instead we can give the power back to ourselves? We can believe whatever we believe and find the power within us, not somewhere else. We can be a part of a community and still be accountable to ourselves. Because the idea too is that those like community values would be part of your value system too. So it's part of the information system that your own inner authority is, is working from. So I'm not saying when I say go into your own inner authority, I'm not saying be sociopathic or be antisocial because the idea is that if you really have faith, you probably also have values that you're a part of a human race and and people matter. Other people matter. (laughs) And so you're not going to go out and start treating people like they don't matter. You're just going to stop looking to one direction to say, how should I behave? What are the commandments of my behavior? And then what are the consequences if I don't do those behaviors? Because if I don't have a list to refer to, I don't know how to act. And if I'm not chasing some guaranteed afterlife, then I'm not motivated to be a good person. What? One of my grad school teachers and somebody that I imagined to be an incredible therapist said this of becoming a therapist. Your clients are going to walk through the door each session and hand you their power. It is your job throughout the next 50 minutes to give it back to them. Now, this felt like the right way to engage with the inherent power dynamic that can arise in therapy and arises in other places. With doctors, with priests, with bosses, with any number of power structures that we encounter throughout our day. They're there. Masculine metrics say this person's the expert, this person's the authority, this person's the whatever, the person that you have to answer to. Fine. I'm not saying blow that whole thing up. I'm saying figure out what you actually owe to that person and what else you might be giving them and why. Right? Because one of my marketing slogans for my practice is that I'm not the authority on your life and what choices you make. (laughs) I'm here to help you see yourself differently but I'm not here to take charge of you. I'm not going to give you advice. I'm not going to tell you that what you're doing is wrong. I might help you see that it doesn't seem to be working for you. It doesn't seem to be actually getting you where you want to be. So we decide maybe you don't want to be where you think you want to be, or maybe you want to do something different because you do want to be there. I'm not here to tell you which one it is, but I'm here to help you explore and find out for yourself. And yet I understand that in part because of the letters after my name and in part because suffering people don't feel very clear on their own authority that people will hand their power over to me. It's understandable and it's part of the work. My responsibility, though, is not to exploit that. Instead, it's to hold their authority for them or with them, but still in a place where both of us can see it. 
while we understand why they cannot hold it themselves in this moment, and while we slowly guide them back to the clarity that they need to reclaim it before they walk out the door. If I'm still holding their power by then, then they're going to have to come back. They're going to develop a dependency on therapy and will cease being able to choose for themselves without consulting with me first. That is not therapy. That is an abuse of power. And that is the seemingly benign place where cults are born. But here I am talking about therapy when I said I didn't want to speak for my capacity as a therapist. (laughs) The thing is, I just want to be human again. (laughs) I realized how much I lost my sense of humor because I put my being a therapist before my being a human. I started to take everything as seriously as the crises that I have been tasked to manage. Vicarious trauma led me to feel like I had no more room left for my own experiences. And the letters after my name made me feel responsible for things that are not mine to be responsible for. The part of me that always needs to be good feel those letters looming over my shoulders at all times, watching my every move, governing me well beyond the limits of the legal and ethical parameters of my profession. My own authority over myself and what came out of my mouth had vanished. Another symptom of my penchant for all or nothing thinking, I lost sight of nuance that I can be both ethical and work within the law and also push the boundaries with what I stand for. In my last episode, I talked about my mentor, Bruce Avery, who passed away earlier this year. Forever inspiring me, I reconnected to some memories of him and what he stood for. One of Bruce's favorite lines, and therefore an ongoing razz about him, was how he liked to sleep nights. (laughs) As a general manager of Hofstra University's radio station, at the beginning of every training class, For new students who were going to join the station, he would give a speech about the responsibility of a live microphone and a voice moving through the airwaves. He would talk about the FCC, which we were governed by, and how much money we would be fined if somebody said something obscene or left dead air overnight without powering down the transmitter. Very dramatically, he would get up on a desk, Dead Poet Society style, after all of that and say... And I like to sleep nights. (laughs) He knew he was going to be the person that every possible problem at that station would find their way to. That he had the authority over us, but he also had the responsibility of us. And he still drew a boundary. (laughs) He asked us to be respectful of him as a person and use that as extra incentive to take our responsibility seriously. And yet here's the thing. Apart from his I like to sleep nights speech, Bruce never demonstrated anxiety about this. And he never oppressed creativity. He was always encouraging us to push the envelope, all the while remaining in relationship with where the limits became deal breakers. Being governed by the FCC didn't make him create a moat around us so that we would stay far away from trouble. He encouraged us to walk right up to it so long as we didn't cross the line. That was always so meaningful to me because I'm somebody way more conservative than that, fear-driven than that, willing to make myself smaller because of my own special brand of wounding, always fearing repercussions. I would create the moat just to make sure I never got too close to the perimeter. 
But all that would do is shrink my field of play, close in the space where I got to exist and create and express. Why make it any smaller than it has to be? Why give away all of my authority to the FCC when I only need to give obscene language and technical protocols over to it? So for me, it all begs the question, where is your authority? In the limits of your job, the laws you're unlikely to get anywhere near breaking, the hierarchy of your faith, outdated rules of your parents, the expectations of society, politicians, experts, masculine metrics, feminine ones, fear? Or is it within you, the higher self you hold, that can weigh all of these things by their value to you and alchemize them into an outcome that you actually feel empowered by? And if you're not in touch with that higher self, that's a good place to do some work. Funny story about that for me, speaking of cults. (laughs) So I've done a lot of work in my own therapy and going to graduate school, especially where I went, was definitely a deepening of that work. So I built up a pretty strong relationship with my higher self throughout the years. But one day I found myself in a faith space, I guess I would call it, that I'm not going to lie, it had cult potential. I just sort of like walked in off the street. Something compelled me about this place. So I ended up there really randomly and immediately felt like I was trying to be recruited into something. All on the premise of self-growth, which noble, but, you know, ease up a little bit, right? (laughs) Luckily, I felt secure in my awareness of this and my ability to maintain my own authority and not just give it away to any of those people because they were saying things that I liked. I I, I appreciated what they had to say. I, I agreed with a lot of what they had to say. But what they wanted me to do was give them my authority so that then I would just lose some sense of individuality and follow along with the culture of this place. You know, that that an ideology that I aligned with would have to become my identity in some way rather than just an ideology that I aligned with in addition to other ideologies that I align with. It wanted to become the sole thing that I believed in and lived from. And I didn't want that. I wanted to say, hey, I appreciate what you're offering. I I think I agree with a lot of what you're saying, but I also agree with a lot of other things. And so I'm going to check in with myself rather than offer this to you to decide for me, which made me feel safe. And then I could actually be really curious about that place and kind of wander around and talk to different people feeling like I was not likely to be captured because I could see what was going on and I was still in touch with my inner self. With a little bit of skepticism, because I knew that this would lower my defenses and my ego strength, I participated in a meditation that was being offered there. And at first, not going to lie, I kept opening one eye during the meditation to kind of scan the room a little bit and make sure nothing sinister was happening. I was observing other participants, people who had sort of randomly walked in just as I had. And I was watching the meditation leader who was walking around the room with a seemingly benign energy. 
I decided after a while to sink into the meditation. And truly, it was actually one of the best meditations of my life. It was wonderfully restorative and restful and expansive all at the same time. And in it, I discovered an image of my higher self, an an actual visual of my higher self, which of all the work that I'd done before, I'd actually never come upon an image. It was this mermaid-like character who revealed herself to me. And as soon as I saw her, I thought, I know you. You're the one. You're the one that I've been feeling and talking to and building up the relationship with. Like, this is what you look like. Oh my God, that makes sense. Like, I know you. We're old, 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 old friends. And her energy was endlessly hopeful. It was this energy of just like, everything is okay. When you think it's not okay, it's because your ego is freaking out about something. And you're attached to a certain outcome, but everything is okay. You're safe, you're loved, you're connected to something higher. Not God in the Catholic sense, but the immensity of the universe and a system of energy that you're a part of, even if you don't always feel it. You just have to remember it. It was powerful. And the visual really helped solidify my relationship with my higher self because Now it's not just a feeling, which is powerful, but it's also an image that I can tap into to ground myself, connect upwards, and hear my instincts. I think that's part of the ritual when reclaiming your authority. I painted her once, too. So I actually have a a painting that I can go back to and, and connect with in moments where I might really, and this, this, ha- this happens a lot when I experience depression, is that I really feel disconnected from faith and spirit. And sometimes the feeling of her is less. It's sort of drowning under more depressive sensations. And so I, I can use the painting to kind of revive it a little bit and awaken her more and more and more in my nervous system. Now, I'm not saying that you need to go find a possible cult to meditate with, but find a place or a pattern where you can do this work. Because especially as the system of authority that we know around us continues to reveal itself and crack before us, there has never been a better time to take back your power. Shit's getting real weird. And it's getting weird because it's getting truthful. So if Beale's end of the world, it's the end of something. It's the end of the world as we knew it. But maybe that's not a bad thing. Maybe the reason it might feel like a bad thing is because that world has a lot of your power. If you take it back... You won't feel as attached to it anymore. You'll actually see that maybe it's for the best that some of these things are cracking and falling apart because they weren't out to help everybody. They're not in everybody's best interest. And it's scary, but I'll I'll say it again. There's never been a better time to take back your power. And with that, I thank you for listening. Feel free to connect on Instagram at both The Hungry Feminine and Feed The Feminine. I also have a new Substack that I've recently started. It's under The Hungry Feminine, and it's going to have essays and podcast exclusives as I continue to reclaim my voice and my humanness. So 
Again, thanks for listening, and I will be back soon. 